RDT Systems, baby. Dog tested and dog tough. We've got those soft mouth dummies. Now listen, everybody knows that we need more bumpers. I'm not talking about one or two or three. I'm talking about adding bumpers to your repertoire. I like using white or black and white bumpers when I'm training my dogs for marks and even blinds. You can get the orange ones. I dig it. But add a bunch to your repertoire. And I'm again, I'm not talking about three to six. If you're working on T pattern, if you're working on blinds and pattern blinds, you need a bunch, a dozen, 18. The Soft Mouth Dummies by DT can't be beat. Check them out, LoneDuckOutfitters.com. DT Difference. Let's go. Hashtag Man's Best Kennel. It's Gunner Kennels, baby. It's a kit. We had Addison on the, the podcast, a phenomenal dude, always innovating our industry. And one of the things that he brought up is it's a kit. It's not just the kennel itself. You've got the fan 2.0 for your summer, right? Like it's hot out. We got to keep that dog cool. In wintertime, you got the all weather kit. Keeps that poor body temperature in there so the dog doesn't have to work as hard to stay warm. They also have the magnetic door accessory that keeps that body temperature in there. And then the straps. Everybody thinks like, oh, I'll just go to Home Depot and get the cheapo straps. Well, listen, they developed these straps so that basically you can lift a VW bug with the two straps. So if you were to get in a car accident on the way to the duck blind or the training grounds, that dog is going to be beyond strapped and stay safe. Check it out. Gunner Kennels, baby. Slide into the DMs. We'll hook you up. Force fetch. What is it? It's super intimidating to so many people, yet it's not that difficult. I built a step-by-step process that helps you understand it, you and your dog can be successful in it, and it takes the intimidation away of the process so that you and your dog can get to your goals. That's what it's built for. Let me teach you how I do it so that you and your dog can do it. Different breeds, different personalities, problem solving, and more. Check it out. Links in the description. The Force Fetch Course. Baby. What's up, everybody? Episode 11 of Lone Duck's Gundog Chronicles. Uh, Kevin and I are here with Memphis, and we are sitting enjoying the opportunity to talk with Matt Peel from Goose Creek Outfitters and Retrievers. Matt is from the eastern shore of Maryland. He is a social media master, fantastic guy to follow on all social media, Facebook, Instagram, probably even Snapchat, I'm sure, and he's he's fun. His photography is incredible and precise and clean, and, and actually in the last year, Matt has gone full-time retriever training, which is why we've got him on the podcast tonight. We're going to go shot for shot. My question, his question. My question, his question from Instagram Live. So Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us tonight. Do me a favor. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself and how you got started in the retriever training game. Uh, well, thanks for having me, guys. Um, I guess really I kind of got into it by default or really by accident. Um, it really wasn't one of my my dreams as a, as a, as a young guy coming up. I always enjoyed hunting and everything, but um, got a little bit older and wanted a dog of my own. Uh, we kind of, she and I battled it out and figured things out between each other and got another dog, which is Gator. I think everybody who follows me online probably knows him. Um, he did really well. And then I got, you know, Boomer and 
now that I have that little puppy Ember that everybody probably sees, it kind of like kind of snowballed on me. I really had no plans of really doing it. My grandfather was always into dogs, and I always heard stories about his dogs, so I wanted one of my own. But never did I dream that I would be able to do what I do and, and really turn this passion into a full-time job like I have. Very cool. So do me a favor. As you know, and, and some of our listeners here, we're big on the unspoken bond, the relationship between us and our dogs. So I know Gator has been a poster child, if you will, of your Instagram and Facebook and all your waterfowl photography. Tell us a little bit about Gator, his background, and maybe your most memorable retrieve. Man. <laughs> that dog's got a lot of trees. Uh, well, I mean, his background—he really doesn't come from much of anything. He actually, you know, kind of, kind of, not, yeah, literally not much of anything. But um, he and I, you know, I got him when he was—I don't know—right around a little, a little bit like less than a year old. Um, you know, kind of been with another trainer, and things didn't go well with him there. And I got him, and he and I kind of linked up, like you said, that unspoken bond. Like we figured each other out. He knew what I wanted from him. And we, we kind of, obviously, you know, that's, that's my boy. That's my, <laughs> my, my dude there. But, um, man, most, most memorable retrieve, like, I, 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 you know what? I gotta, I gotta say there was, there was a time I took this guy teal hunt. He'd never been duck hunting before. It's his first duck hunt. And he'd always seen gator and he thought he was like the greatest thing in the world. So these teal come in, it's early season, hot mosquitoes, you know, typical seal hunting. And, um, we shot into a group of teal one came up high we shot it again and it sailed way behind us out to the marsh and i i literally you know not for i don't want to you know say like i don't pick up my ducks but it sailed so far and it was so alive i was just like man we'll deal with it later you know i'm not gonna i'm not gonna worry with it right now um so we picked up you know we shot i think we shot a two-man limit it was just he and i and uh maybe like a couple birds shy whatever and I was picking up decoys, and I just kind of lined Gator up to the marsh over there and kicked him off, and off he went. And uh, I really didn't think – I just really was letting him go to the bathroom for the most part. So I was like, hey, <laughs> if he comes out with a duck, he comes out with a duck. Yeah, and, hey, um, go potty and hunt it up. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 guy, <laughs> the guy that was with me, he, like, got all excited and all jazzed up. And I'm like, dude, what are you – like, you know, is there a bear behind me? What are you doing? And I look back, and Gator's got this teal literally still alive. He went all the way back out in the marsh. It had to have been, you know, 200 yards through, you know, bull rush, cattails, like the whole nine yards, and found this duck. I don't know how. I still to this day do not know how this dog found this duck, but he did. But that's kind of like, that's Gator's mentality. Like, you know, he just, he kind of is on autopilot when we hunt. Good Probably deal. one of the best dogs I'll ever hunt over, to be honest with you. But That's cool, man. That's what it's all the about. The prodigy boomer is, is kind of nipping at his heels but we'll see how that goes this will be his first full season so we'll see good deal cool all right couple quick questions that most people want to know what we all do and shoot and all that stuff um what is your gun of choice uh my gun of choice so i kind of have two um i shoot a winchester sx3 um I, I had a couple of Benelli's and, and they really didn't do me very well. And I got mad like the middle of the goose season one year and went to uh, one of the gun shops down here and bought an SX3. And it's probably got, I don't know, 10,000 rounds to it, maybe more. And I've never done anything to it other than clean it and, and barely even clean it. And um, and I do like to shoot, I shoot an over and under a brownish synergy. 
Nice. Uh, three, point, three and a half inch, you know, whatever you want to say. Nice. Um, over and under. So those are my two kind of go-to guns. Nice. My my go-to upland and waterfowl gun is my Browning Satori. Um, I know everybody wants that third shell, but, man, I just I shoot it lights out. <laughs> I feel good about it, and so that's my go-to. And I just recently uh, bought an old Browning A5 20-gauge, and so I'm going to break that nice. out break that out into the marsh uh this year so i'm excited about that um what shotgun to too off topic, but oh yeah but one of the things you said you you love the way that gun shoots anybody you know whatever gun you're shooting whether it's a mossberg or you know a caesar grani if you're confident in that gun you'll shoot that gun better than any other gun that you can pick up Dude. so don't you know don't get in wrapped up into the brand of oh well this guy shoots this gun or this person shoots this gun so i gotta shoot that if it's comfortable for you and you think you shoot it well, you're going to shoot it 10 times better than you'll shoot anything else. I couldn't agree more. I could. It's got to fit you right, and it's got to feel right, and your confidence has to be high, and you're going to shoot birds. That's for sure. Exactly. Exactly. All right. What is the shotgun shell choice when you go to the marsh? Oh, man, I, I really like heavy steel. Um, when, I, when I'm out shooting sea ducks, I tend to uh, – lean towards the Winchester experts because I can get them at Walmart readily available and kind of on the, on the cheap. But, um, I really like heavy steel. I usually shoot three inch number twos or threes. That's kind of all I shoot at everything. Geese, ducks, whatever. Yeah. I'm a heavy metal three inch threes. I've found last year I was gifted some black cloud three inch threes. And I am telling you, I probably shot two box. Well, maybe not two boxes, but 25 rounds at a minimum and didn't get my limit and i went to my heavy metal and finished my limit off in like three shots and it just i yep. it patterns out of my gun well and i don't know like you said i don't know if it was black cloud or my mentality but browning satori yeah heavy metal three inch threes uncle bob hits ducks and, and that's the thing man a lot of it is really more so your confidence in your gear, whether that's your shotgun shells, your gun, you know, shoot your dog, your decoys, whatever it is. If you think, if you feel in your heart of hearts, that is, you know, kind of what you need or what makes you successful, you'll be more successful just because of that mentality, whether it's, you know, hitting ducks, whether, you know, whatever it's doing, if you're confident in your gear and you think, you know, like I've, I've shot stuff before that, you know, like old rusty shells you find in the boat, you miss everything with them because you were nervous about it. You're like, Oh my God, yeah, I'm gonna shoot these rusty shells, whatever. It's, you know, if you, if you're confident in what you're doing, you'll be fine. Whether, whether you shoot Winchester experts and that's all you ever shoot or whether you shoot, you know, something that's $80 a box, whatever. Yeah. I understand that. That that's fair. Uh, Matt, it's Kevin. Uh, I had a question about, I saw on Instagram, I mean, today, yesterday, uh, Gators are tiring. Can you talk to me a little bit about like maybe your feelings on retiring Gator and you mentioned Boomer being an up and coming dog and how he's got a lot of uh, good action ahead of him, but, uh, bless you Memphis, but, <laughs> but I mean, that, that's an, that's an emotional roller coaster, man. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, I was going to say, like, I don't want to get too deep into it. Cause you know, my, my family kind of always joke with me about him. You know, when, when Gator goes, I might have to get checked into a home. I mean, that's, you know, He's been here, there, and everywhere with me. Um, so I guess about a year and a half ago, Mother's Day, not this past one, but the one before that, Gator broke his hip. Um, and, you know, a long road to recovery through that and everything. 
And he, he hunted last season. He did really, really well. But it, it really took his toll on him. Um, so he's not really retiring, retiring. He's just retiring from kind of big water. You know, I, most people that follow me probably know I live right on the Chesapeake Bay. So I do a lot of hunting out there and, you know, in the surrounding areas. And he just can't, you know, when it's rough and the boat's not stable, that leg isn't as – and I got to say that the surgeon did a phenomenal job. Like he walked out of he walked out of the vet's office or the emergency surgery place or whatever you want to say on all four legs. Um, actually, the, the vet said he's only seen two dogs ever do it, one with a police canine and one with gator. But it, it really took his toll. It aged him bad. Like, he was full of, you know, piss and vinegar, as they say, yeah. right before the surgery. And right after that, like, I feel like it put three, four years on his life. Um, but, yeah, and it really, it really is. Like, when I made that post this morning, like, yeah. I only got choked up about it because, like, he's been, you know, that's my dude. He's been everywhere. Yeah. Like, he's. And he's just a machine, you know. He does, he does whatever, he does whatever I want him to do, whenever I tell him to do it. And half the time, he does it before I even think of telling him to do it. You know, yeah. he just, he's just a good dog. And those, like those dogs, you know, everybody says you only get one good one. I don't think you only get one good one. I think you have a lot of good ones, but you have one that you remember more than the rest of them. And that's fair. Be him. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. That's a, whew, that's a little heavy. A little heavy. Um, well, I mean, if you come in my house, man, like there's, there's a room that's pretty much dedicated to him. There's, you know, I don't know, 20, 30 pictures in here of him. And, you know, he's just, he's just a good dog, man. He's a damn good dog. Yeah. I, I like a lot of people have a man room. You got a gator room. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) yeah. Some guys have man caves. I got a gator den. (laughs) Well, that's, that's pretty good. Listen, I like to judge I don't like to judge people. I don't want to say that, but I do like to judge people based on how they name their dog. And you definitely win. You you definitely it's not bad with with Gator and Boomer. Good dog names. I respect that. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. I feel like, man, if you're gonna have like just like a kid, like if you have a kid, you, you set them up for failure, giving them kind of a stupid name. Start to offend anybody with a kid with a stupid name. Easy, like, easy. My name's Bob. Yeah, well, <laughs> but no, like you know, like a dog, man. Like if you name him Fluffy, like most likely he's gonna be a Fluffy. Yeah, no, you know, I got you. Name him something with grit, you know, like like Boomer. You know, Goose Creek, here comes Boom. You know what I mean? He's just like, and he lived up to his name. You know, Ember, that little the little puppy of mine. You know, she's living up to her name. Fire on the mountain. You know, she's full. She's full of fire, full of drive. So. I think if you name them, it's kind of like going back to that confidence in something. You got confidence in what it's going to be; it'll be that. Yeah. No, that's awesome, man. So you so you take your dogs out in the big water, then out in the ocean there, or in the in the bay? Yeah, I mean, I I, I probably haven't hunted in the ocean for I guess probably three years now, just because you know if I can do it closer to home on the bay, then you know I can do it here. Um, but yeah, I mean, I hunt them right in the middle of Chesapeake Bay. That's that's badass. Now I gotta I gotta ask about. I don't know, being like a central New York guy and, and not having sharks around, but I just imagine that you shoot a duck and there's like a feeding frenzy and that gator just fights his way through, punches sharks, whatnot, to bring a duck back. Is that pretty spot I mean, on or is, is that pretty spot on? If, if, that, if that's your, you know, your thought on gator, then that's what he does. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not... I'm not going to tell you otherwise, but um, have, but have no, I've really, I've really never had, you know, kind of never had an issue. I do know, um, 
good friend of mine, Jeff Coates. I think you might have talked to him on yeah. before. Um, he, he stopped hunting dogs in the ocean because of, uh, I think it was a tiger shark that came up kind of right behind one of his dogs. I'm not sure really of the story off the top of my head. Like, you know, he would tell it better than I would, obviously. Um, but, you know, he, he just got another puppy. I, I hope he starts taking that out with him because I've been on him for a couple of years now. Like, man, you got to get another dog. You got to start taking dog out of the boat, you know, the whole nine yards. Because to me, duck hunting really isn't – it doesn't come full circle unless you've got a dog with you. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, I go with my friends all the time. Like, if they outlaw dogs and duck hunting right now, I probably wouldn't – I'd find something else to do with my time. Well, it, you know, cause for me, it just – if I don't bring a dog, I, I'm not duck hunting. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I had a, a guy at work today actually ask if I knew anybody who had uh, hounds that can, like, track a deer and because uh, he just does deer hunting and stuff. And I don't think that's actually legal in New York. But I can't imagine oh, yeah. going – no, I don't – is it, Bob? I don't uh, – the ruling is, like, we in New York you can't hunt deer – with dogs so like in the south you can run deer with dogs like coon dogs or beagles you can run them so in new york you can't do that and then if you want to track a dead deer or a downed deer with a dog you need to have like a really specific license for it um and the dog has to be yeah they have to be certified and like have to stay on leash and all this jazz you gotta call a number and have some uh wiener dog come out and track it um, and actually I have a buddy, Jake, who had a, he downed a deer and couldn't find it and hired the wiener dog. And he said that dog was no, like useless, absolutely useless trying to find this deer. So whatever. There's, there's a guy down here that actually has, a, it's funny you said that he's got like a little, you know, what is it? Long haired dachshund or wiener dog. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, um, he, man, he, he's retrieved a bunch of deer with that thing. I mean, like that's a, a badass a wiener. Bunch. Good looking <laughs> That's a good-looking wiener. Uh, yeah, but anyway, so I, I was just – I guess I was trying to make the connection that, like, it, to me, I don't connect maybe because of where we live, whatever, like going deer hunting with dogs, and maybe that's different in different places. But for me, duck hunting, half the fun is – I mean, you go out and drink coffee and hang out with your buddies and, and shoot the breeze, and then if there's ducks flying or not, you still get to hang out and pet a – had a good dog and you know have a good time and watch the dog get excited and shake and watch the sky and it's just cool so it, it, they don't really they don't i don't know they're mutually exclusive i guess it, and that's see, that's the thing and like, not to get side rails but you know more people that are getting into the sport need to to realize that stuff like it's not about making a pile like if if making a pile is what you're worried about going duck hunting you're in it for the wrong reason it's about the experience. And, and again, going back to that experience, like my experience isn't really what it, you know, what it should be or what I think it should be without that dog. And it goes back a little bit when we talked about like kind of my history with my grandfather and, you know, always hearing his stories and his dogs and things like that. So that's kind of what I grew up with. So that's what I, you know what I mean? Like that's what I try to emulate, like, or that's my, my vision of the perfect hunt. Like if you don't have a dog, it wasn't a perfect hunt. You could have killed a 15-man limit, and it wasn't a perfect hunt, and there was no dog involved. Yeah, couldn't agree more. All right, Matt, We now that I feel like the listeners got a grip on who Matt Peel is, let's go live on Instagram. I've got a question from earlier today. Did you happen to read, uh, not to derail us here for a second, did you 
get your questions from Instagram by any chance, or do you want me to just rip through live? Yeah, go go on your side. To be honest with you, man, I was dealing with that deer earlier, and and I haven't, I really haven't even been on my Instagram since then. Nice. So start with what you got, and if we hit a dull spot, I'll look in there and see what I find. But um, let's go with you. What you got first? All right, cool. All right, so the first question. Hold on. Uh, the first question, Kevin's gonna read off. Forgot I need the microphone. Uh, first question was from Zach Hoheisel. Um, <laughs> on the, I got you awkwardly on the Instagram live. That's okay. It's fine. Uh, not always. Um, is this for you or for Matt? This is for you. Uh, well, I guess that's selfish to not have your guests go first. Uh, no force fetch. Uh, so Zach's got a hunting dog. Doesn't do force fetch, uh, at least not yet, but has done a whole lot of hold conditioning. Uh, that's been going really well. Um until the dog gets to retrieve, then the dog gets super jacked up and real excited, and it's just a real high-drive dog, and she moves too quick and wants to shake her head. Uh, how do we get the dog to kind of slow down, be easy, and not rip up the duck shaking? All right, great question, Zach. Um, so he, I asked him, so again, I'm going to reiterate what Kevin just said really quickly because I want to clarify because I wasn't sure what Zach was asking in that question. So... Basically, Zach asked, I didn't collar condition and I didn't force fetch my dog. I just did a really strong hold. And so the dog will bring bring the bumper back or bring the duck back just fine and hold on to it. But as it's coming towards him, it's so excited that the dog's like shaking his head and flopping around and getting all fired up. You know what I'm talking about, right, Matt? Yeah, I'm with you, yep. Okay, but because it's not collar conditioned and it's not force fetched and it's he's choosing not to, which is his prerogative, that's cool. Um, how would I fix it? So, A number one, I think force fetch and collar conditioning, I could tell you right now how to fix it. I'd hear Nick here or sit Nick sit. It's called indirect pressure. So, indirect pressure is giving him some sort of correction in in terms of a different command, so hear or sit. So he's shaking his head and and kind of not being super gentle with the bumper or the bird. And so a sit or hear command with a nick, a low nick, is going to help knock that behavior off. Um, without doing e-collar or force fetch, I had to kind of rack my brain on how I would solve this. And so I would I use the old trusty baseball cap healing stick so instead of having a healing stick or whatever you want to call it i'm going to take my baseball hat off and instagram live's about to see this i'm going to pop them on the butt right with my hat and tell them sit and so i've got to give the a little bit of a correction and basically my game plan is is to break that dog's excitement to a degree and that focus and drive and habit that it's formed of shaking its head by touching the dog in a different way maybe I touch it with my hand maybe I touch it with my baseball hat maybe I touch it with my knee whatever it is to just break that dog's concentration on what it's normally used to doing which is shaking his head and get him to sit down and focus and then hey good dog give okay so 
it's not a bad habit. He the uh, Zach said he's not chomping the bird. He's not dropping the bird. He's not mouthing the bird overly crazy. The dog's just overexcited and and happy go lucky and shaking the bird out of excitement. So I'm gonna give him a correction. Uh, um, it, it doesn't have to be hard or harsh, but I'm gonna knock that off. Maybe you got a leash on the dog, so you can grab that leash, give him a little pop, sit. Hey, sit. Good, sit. Good, give. Okay, let's do another. And just break that mold, break that habit of what he's used to and build better habits, which is come, deliver to hand nicely, sit down, and let's get ready for the next one. Um, All right, next one up. Shot for shot, Matt. Are you ready? We got another question. Kevin's going to read it off for you, brother. What do we got? I keep forgetting about the we gotta we gotta get more microphones. All right, a little ahead, blue collar over here. Uh we're gonna do we're gonna do two. Just do him one and then I got one. Well the first one is how many dogs you have. Uh, go ahead, Matt. How many dogs you got? Uh per- personally I have three, Gator, Boomer, and Ember. Um What kind of dogs you got? Dog, I usually say right around sixteen. Full house. Uh, and then yeah, full house for sure. Yeah, you got a kennel situation, or are you uh, just snuggle in bed with all sixteen? <laughs> yeah, obviously, obviously, I have a kennel. Um, Gator's the only one that has bed privileges because, as we talked about earlier, Gator kind of does what Gator wants to do. Because he's the, as as I always call him, he's the old man. So. Yeah, but you know, all the other dogs, you know, I got a kennel out back, and cool. That's where you know that's where they reside. Uh, next is this next question is going to be for you or for, I want to know, I want to hear from Matt. So Matt, our, our next question is, uh, Tanner Barbary. Thanks man. Uh, most important thing to be doing with a new Chessy pup and how do you correct a nippy pup? Uh, the, the most important thing, I guess that's a, that's a, that's two questions in one guess or with that. Yeah, I guess it's two questions in one. Okay, so the most important thing is exposure. And and that's kind of what one of the things that my program really revolves around is early exposure. Get Once that dog has all its shots, that puppy has all its shots, take it everywhere. Let as many people as you can possibly get that dog around, meet it, play with it, love on it, you know, whatever you can. Um, and, and start start what you're going to do with that dog. If you want that dog to you know to retrieve and, and hunt with you start doing that right then start with a little tennis ball get it excited to retrieve you know start place training sit training everything like that and as far as nippiness that's kind of like situational if it's just mouthing on you i really resort to the old like pushing its own lip over its teeth so it bites itself and then give like a big owl on your end so it's like dramatic like a puppy squealed yeah. and that'll clear itself up really really quick very good. Very good. Yeah, and I'm going to interject quickly. He was asking breed specific, like, hey, I've got a chessy puppy. What do I do with it? And I'm going to answer and just say, like, it's still a dog, and you're not going to treat it any differently than you would a Labrador or a German short hair or a Chesapeake, right? They're all a retriever and we're all going to build the right good habits early on and and move forward as the dog progresses but it's not necessarily the breed that dictates how you train it's we train 
and the dog's personality is going to help us determine how we train, I guess. Kev, you got another question? I'll take the exactly. next question. And I, I could, just, to, just to piggyback on that one, I couldn't agree more with what you just said. The dog's personality dictates how you train. Every dog I take off my truck or my trailer every day, I train different because they all have different personalities. And if people get too wrapped up in the, you know, that I read this out of a book, so this is how I have to train my dog. That's when people run into problems because every dog needs to be trained differently. Books are a guideline to start with, but every dog doesn't need everything you read in a book or see online or hear us even talk about. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, and that that's fair. I mean, everybody, every dog has a different personality and is going to be have different genetics and different you know, upbringing. If you grab a dog at six months old, it's going to have a completely different life than the next dog in the kennel, you know, down the, down the line. Um, first we got a comment from Joe saying that Bob has nice looking khakis on. So that's fair. Um, and then Mark D Camillo. Thanks man. Uh, also said that our audio is pretty good. Nice. My man. Nice. Uh, yeah, buddy. Uh, wants to know what we're feeding dogs and how many times a day which I think we talked about on a different podcast. So check out our other podcast. But then what about Matt? What do you do with your dogs? Uh, so, so again, going back to like my early exposure, I take on a lot of really young dogs. So puppies kind of under six months, I feed twice a day. Uh, um, Karina pro plan puppy focus. I always have trouble saying that too many P's for me. Um, and then <laughs> after, you know, kind of six, eight months old, whenever that dog's kind of, it out a little bit to where it can be in its adult form. I use four health performance and then it goes to once a day in the afternoon. Um, and he's really working in bulk through the day. You don't want to feed that dog and then go run. You can bloat, you can twist their stomach, things like that. So once they're older, once a day in the afternoon or after you work them, you know, maybe an hour after you work them, then you'll be fine. All right, cool, Matt. So I'm going to answer that question as well. Um, I'm the same as a little baby puppy. I feed them multiple times a day, smaller portions. And then I, I generally normally feed twice a day. And this summer I was getting a lot of work in. And so I was getting to the field at like 7am, you know, 6.30, 7am and rolling. And I didn't want dogs with a full belly in hot heat for the same reasons you said for that bloat where the dog uh large breed dogs are susceptible to it and their stomach will basically flip and twist and then the circulation goes off they start foaming at the mouth and they literally die within 10 minutes really bad not what we want to do do a little more research on it if you're interested in it but basically um at that point i'm like man i can't keep feeding dogs in the morning and uh kevin's saying my crotch is showing on Instagram live. I'm just going to let it ride. People can enjoy it. Um, but basically <laughs> long story short on those days that I was putting in a lot of hours and hot, I wasn't feeding in the mornings and I would double down at night. And I've found the same thing you said. It's just a little bit easier to air them out in the morning, let them run around, let them go to the bathroom, load them up in the truck and go train. If I didn't do what I did all day like as a retriever trainer and I just was a house dog kind of guy then I probably would do twice a day 
you know, hey, when you get up in the morning before work, throw a bowl of food out, let them go to the bathroom, put them back in their crate before you go to work, and then feed them at night just so they're, I don't know, maybe I'm soft, but so they don't have an empty stomach all day sitting around. But with a working dog that's working with me all day, every day, and, and hunting and stuff like that, I don't want them to have a full stomach during that high workload output type of thing. Um, all right, Kev's got another question, either for you or me, but he'll let it rip. Yeah, so I got the uh, this next question is from Seaching eighty three. Appreciate the question. I believe he's actually at. He's on fire, my man. Hey, let people know about our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but really appreciate it, man. Cheers to you. Uh, do you take hourly clients? And if so, what do you charge? Interesting question. I think, uh, yeah, man, both can answer. Uh, I don't know, Matt, what do you, do you take hourly clients? Uh, so, so truly I, I used to, um, back, you know, when I was doing it part time, I actually did a lot of one-on-one clients and, and truly I don't anymore simply because, and, and I don't mean to call anybody out, if, you know, they were one of my previous clients that did, you know, the, the, the one-on-one sessions. What would happen was people would come to me and we would do all the work with their dog and then they would go home and I would give them like homework and they wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And it was painfully obvious to me when they came back that they hadn't done it. So I really got rid of all that altogether. Um, that being said, that there's there's some guys that I kind of train with that help me to throw birds for me like that and I'll help them with their dogs um but but kind of after that you know it, it really it isn't if you want your dog trained and you aren't confident in it to, you you know doing it yourself send the dog to the pro whether you know whether it's me Bob anybody else you you, you know you'd be doing your dog a, a disservice to not do that yeah uh so Dude, great, great point, and, and I would agree with you. When I started out and I was going all in on being a dog trainer and, and I had to pay bills, I said yes to everyone and everything. So when uh, Suzy, yep. Susie Q, who had show dogs that they wanted uh, a certain title on it, yes, this is what I charge. Um, back in the day, I was – boy uh, – I don't know if I, I'm going to say it, screw it. If it was someone I didn't want to hang out with, I'd throw out like an astronomical number. And if they said yes, cool. Um, and if they didn't, then, you know, okay, no harm, no foul. But if they, you know, and then I, like a lot of the people that I train with became my good friends. So, you know, again, I think I talked about, I think I talked about Jake earlier in this conversation, like Jake and his dog, Ollie, I remember he brought him out at like 12 weeks old, 14 weeks old. He wouldn't swim and wanted to get him on birds and gunfire and all the jazz, right? And he was reading books, and, dude, he was a great kid, younger than me, went to my high school, um, actually Kevin's age or a year younger than Kevin or something like that, and um, just a good person. And he gave me money that day, and I'm like, all right you know, how about a six pack of beer next time? And I will help you all the way through. And we got that dog through force fetch through collar conditioning. (laughs) And now the dog can run blinds. And basically he's just a good friend. And when he'd show up, he'd throw birds for me. And that's that. So seaching 83 or whatever it is. Um, 
you know, if you're in Matt or my area, dude, if you're willing to throw birds and hang out and bring a case of beer, I'm sure both of us would be happy to have you and, you know, show you and, and have you along. Um, hopefully. You took the words right out of my mouth. I, I was actually going to say anybody who's in my area that, that, you know, needs some brushing up with their dog or anything like that, if you'll come out and throw birds one day a week for us, and I mean, I know I have Samson, he's a huge help to me. You know, I couldn't really do all that I have without him. He's my bird boy. But another person to throw another bird, to load another winger, to do whatever, uh, again, you bring a case of beer for the end of the night, and we'll drink. I agree. I agree, man. All right, Cavs got another. Well, I don't know who this one's for, but uh, uh, Johnny H13. Thanks, man. Uh, I have a 12-month-old black lab. Uh, does great with whistle stops and casting on land. Extreme excitement for water retrieves. Seems to get in the way of transitioning this to water. And yes. The like like the ex- extreme who, excitement. Who, who that that, is that Bob or me? Uh that's all uh you man. Uh so the dog like does great casting on land and, and like really has it, but like water just adds a level up of excitement. Um and is wondering if there's any advice that you could give on transitioning probably smoothly to water. Does that make sense? So, well yeah, yeah, definitely. Um actually I just sent home a dog that was very similar to that, uh, you know, kind of three quarters of the way through his training. Um and really what kind of settled things down for me, one one thing that he was overly excited, but in his overly excited state he really forgot what he was really supposed to be doing the biggest thing is if you're having trouble with anything back up and simplify if if the dog's struggling with it and you've got something 40 yards away make it 20 throw a bumper help the dog um you know make it make it super successful in a scenario uh, but and if you have somebody to help you throw a couple watermarks before that let the dog blow off some steam and then go into your i assume you're like into water tea if were like doing you know casting on land and then moving it to water you're having issues if you're kind of follow the, the normal process is you're in water tea so if you're you know find a smaller pond or find a smaller a narrower pond to, to do it on and you that should clear itself up just with repetition and simplification yeah couldn't agree more matt that's uh simplification if you never be afraid to take a step back Look at what the dog's struggling with. Simplify and move forward. Um, Matt is using a term called water tee. It's also known as swim by. So if you were to go um, and either buy, re- so, go ahead, bud. Can I stop you? Right? Yeah, let me stop you right there. So, so to me, water tee and swim by are two different things. All right, so ex- go for it. Explain your water tee just like you do your land tee. You know, straight back. Left over, right over, left back, right right back. And then swim by is when you can cast dog to the back pile, stop them in the middle of the pond, and then cast them to the over pile. And, and you're, you're building that. It's just like reverse tee. You're, you're teaching that dog you have to take this cast no matter what, whether you have the bird in your mouth already or not. Um, so to me, like with, with my program, and I'm not disagreeing, I'm just adding another, you know, point of view onto it. Water tea and swim by are two actually very drastically different things. Okay. All right. So I'm going to roll with you for a minute. Let's break this down. Um, 
because I'm I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just I want to understand because I'm I'm thinking in my head like how I'm working a dog, and I how I do it is I I teach big time on land, and then I take a dog to a swim by pond and I teach the back pile. Then I teach an over pile. I teach basically like mini tea on water. Um, and then when they're done with swim by, they're going to the back pile. They're stopping on a whistle. They're casting over. They get out on land. I stop them again. I cast them over. They go through the swim by pond all the way to the over pile again. Like, I, I think we're talking about the yeah. same thing, but I want you to explain how no, you no, do no. it. So, so, so for me, when I do swim by, that's after a water tea so a water tea again the same way I, I i get everything as solid as possible on land that's why i actually love training in the winter time because all my young dogs will be running you know pretty much flawless land lines by springtime and then everything will will go right back to tea drill on water you know when we can get in the water again and then we'll breeze through right right there but the biggest thing with so you teach your water tea just like you teach your land tea you identify your back pile, you identify an overpile and another overpile, and then you run that just like your regular tea drill. Stop them in the middle, cast them back. Stop them in the middle, cast them over, cast them over, whatever. Swim by is casting that dog, sending them straight back to that back pile. When they're coming back with that bumper, stopping them in the middle of that pond and casting them to the one of the overpiles. Let's just, for example, let's say the right over. Yeah. And then once they're doing that consistently with the bumper in their mouth, Stopping them in the middle of the pond, casting them, let's say, again, to that right over. They pick up the bumper. Don't let that dog get out of water and send them all the way back across that entire pond to the leftover pile. That I got gotcha. you. That's a true swim box. Yeah, all right. I'm 100% with you. I do the exact same thing. I just don't call them different things. I start – I'm not even going to reiterate what you just said because you explained it beautifully. I do the exact same thing. I just call it swim by. So I start – with I just it's the same thing I just call it swim by and I the dog's not done with swim by until they're doing exactly what you just said going back going over going this going there and just doing what I tell them through casts in the water so we're on the same page and I think you explained it beautifully so Kevin's gonna rock out another question all right so this one's for Bob then uh T Snives T.S. Knives I'm sure I did that one wrong, uh, but appreciate it either way. Uh, hey, man, what are the best steps to move my nine-month-old lab to the next level of training? She struggles retrieving past 60 yards or so, does great in both land and water. And I'm wondering if this is something uh, I follow up, man. If you're still on here, follow up with this. But I wonder if this is like a I train by myself. I don't have wingers to launch birds um, yep. sort of deal. Um, yeah, I think Matt and I are literally thinking the same exact thing. So I'll kind of take this away, Matt, and then you add to whatever I might be missing. So um, Absolutely. we probably both get this a lot. Like, oh, man, my dog smacks marks out to 60 yards, whatever. And, um, and, and the dog hits this invisible wall that – and actually in the last – podcast with jeremy moore the dog bone guy who talks about shed hunting he talked about this it's absolutely correct and, and common so a dog gets used to 
going a certain distance, right? So if I take a bumper and I've got it at my hip and I got the dog at heel and I whip a bumper as far as I can and the dog gets used to that distance, whatever, however far you can throw it, probably 40, 50, 60 yards. That is a launch. Good for him. He needs to be my bird boy. But uh, anyway, <laughs> he may, anyways, so if you can do that and that's where your dog is comfortable retrieving and then all of a sudden he gets an 80, 90, 100 yard mark and breaks down and you find him breaking down to that 60 yard area, it's because he's hitting that invisible wall where in his brain he's like, whoa, 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 I've gone too far. All my life I've gone this distance and found the bumper. I'm going to break down and hunt right here because there's no way it's further. I've always gone here and found the bumper. There's no way it's further. And so I'm going to, I'm also going to kind of talk about, I'll finish the answering this question, but I've also found through my training that dogs who are used to a certain winger where the winger throws it, you know, a, a perfect arc and it lands 20 yards away from a winger. And then Johnny, my bird boy throws it 40 yards away from him that dog's gonna go and run a line 20 yards away from the bird boy because it's used to going where it knows it should be okay so yeah. you you want to throw high arcs flat marks angle backs angle forwards on your marks when you've got a bird boy or a winger so the dog gets used to marking the area of the fall and then hunting the area of the fall instead of going where it's used to and hunting now, um, to help him, he can do, there's a British, like the Brits and, and like our boy Barton Ramsey, you know, in, in one of our episodes and some of the other guys, they do what's called, and, and um, Jeremy commented on it, it's called like a trailing memory mark. If you're only throwing yourself, you can throw a mark, heal the dog away from it, and walk, you know, another 20 yards and turn around. Hey, get your mark good right there. Send them. And so now your 60-yard mark's an 80-yard mark. Throw it again in a different area. Walk 40 yards. Now your 60-yard mark is a 100-yard mark. Good dog right there. Send them. Or I'm pretty sure, maybe this is a jerk thing to say, but, like, you got to have – a brother, a sister, a cousin, an uncle. Well, wingers are expensive, man. So I can't say like everybody should have a winger and throw wingers with their dog, but you got to have a buddy that you hunt with that maybe two days a week after work, you guys show up to a field and he can be your bird boy and help you stretch out. So one of the things I like to do, one drill I like to do, and then Matt, I'm going to let you talk on this subject for a second and anything else you'd like to add, but th the drill I like to teach, well, there's two. One, I'm going to have, let's for instance say Kevin be my bird boy, and Kevin's going to throw a mark, send the dog. Good dog, bring it here. Good, he'll sit, take it. Now I'm going to, I, dog trainer, is I'm going to walk 40 yards back. Kevin's going to throw the mark in the same location. Now that 40-yarder or 60-yard yeah. mark is 80 yards. Send the dog. And he's going to the same location he was successful at and pick up the mark. Now I'm going to back up another. And now all of a sudden the dog's getting the same mark, super confident. Kevin's there to help him if he needs it, blah, blah, blah. Dog is crushing 150-yard marks because I've simplified 
and backed up. That's one way. Number two, number two is feeding the dog bumpers. And I've done this on my Instagram a decent amount. So hopefully maybe people have seen it. But again, for instance, Kevin's my bird boy. He's got a dozen bumpers in his hands, six bumpers in his hands, and we're doing walking singles. He's walking through a field, throwing me marks. All right. I raise my hand. Kevin throws the bumper. I send the dog. Dog goes and gets it. And at and he's, let's say, 80 yards. Dog breaks down at 60. At 40 yards, before the dog starts breaking down and hunting, I'm going to wave my hand and Kevin's going to, hey, hey, and throw a bumper. So now, as the dog's about to break down, we stop it from breaking down and it sees the bumper go. It drives further confidently and steps on that mark. Now Kevin walks 120 yards away. We do another mark. Kevin throws the bumper, send the dog. Dog's hauling butt towards Kevin and the mark. And as I notice that the dog is going to slow down and start to hunt early, I'm going to wave to Kevin. He's going to hey, hey, and feed the dog another bumper. And it's going to confidently drive the dog to the fall area and hunt. So you're going to teach the dog to break that barrier, that 60-yard barrier that he's talking about, and drive further, mark, and then hunt the area of the fall. Do you have anything else to add you know, a drill that you like to do to help marking? Yeah. I was, the only thing I was going to really add to that, obviously you said walking singles, that's huge. That's huge for any dog, whether it's a, a you know, a, a puppy, you know, that, that's just learning how to mark or whether it's a, a master hunter that you're tuning up for the season. Walking singles are huge, but a marking issue, I always revert to, a bare grass area, and I mean like a golf course green, and big white bumpers. And going back to like the issue that you talked about having, I've had dogs come in that have had, you know, they've been with their owner for, you know, the first six, eight months of their life, and I get them, and all they've ever seen is hand-throwing bumpers. Right. And, you know, I have Samson walk out, he'll throw a bumper, let's say at that 65-yard range, and I literally watch dogs stop at that 45, 50-yard mark with a big white bumper on fresh green cut grass right there in front of them, stop right there and start hunting for that bumper. Because like you said, mentally, they know that that has to be right there because that's all they've ever done their whole life. Exactly. So the biggest thing, like you said, is feeding, feeding on bumpers, but keeping it, don't don't take that dog, if, he, if he's struggling with marking, don't take him to a field where there's, you know, there's, you know, fresh cut CRP or whatever. Take him somewhere like a park, or soccer field that dog will see that bumper when it falls and can run 60 and then 70 and then 80 and then 100 and then 200 yards all the way through that bumper and get used to just driving out until they find it and that's sure. that's one of the things that has really helped my dogs with marking yeah my dogs personal dogs whatever is and again that goes back to simplifying you don't need them to go hunt for that bird you need them to learn how to mark so they need to learn how to drive you know again that's 60 or 100 yards distance that's that's one of the biggest things for me is like going back to the break it down and simplify take them somewhere like a park where they can see them exactly and throw the, throw the mark and again if they need help you know keep firing your bumpers keep throwing bumpers if you've got to throw 10 bumpers to get them there it doesn't matter the bird boy can pick them up exactly or your, buddy or your girlfriend or whoever's helping exactly help them to be successful you never, rule number one, the dog never comes back without the bumper. 
So that bird boy has to get them to be successful. So if that dog quits and gives up hunting and doesn't come back with the bird, like leaves it and doesn't find it and gives up, that's a terrible habit and something we never want to allow to happen. So always have that dog be successful on its marks. All right, Matt, Kevin's got another question for us. Um, we're going to let you answer this one. All right, big guy. Sure. All right, man. So uh, East Carolina Retrievers has a has a question about a daily routine uh, in, in regard to a succession of yard work, marks, and blinds. There's something that you do like every day that you kind of just – I don't know, I, I guess I, I look at it as like a daily chore, but something that you just keep the dog on point every day. Well, I don't know if Matt Neal, you know, <laughs> calling in here for. He can just call me and, and, and talk to me directly, but I'll answer your question, buddy. Um, you know me just as well as anybody else. I've trained with you, you know, whatever. I do whatever the dog needs to do a day. So if I have a dog, I, I'll take, you know, I don't care what level the dog's at. If the dog struggles with something, I'll go back to a teeth rhythm. If you know, if, if the dog's having trouble marking, we'll go back to a uh, you know, just like I was talking a minute ago, to a fresh green cut field where the dog can see the bumper. And, you know, wh- whatever that dog needs in that day, and I, I think where people get kind of they get too um, what am I going to say? Too structured. Um, they worry about like, oh well, you got to do this this day and this the next day and this the next day after that. If the dog's struggling with something, like there be, there's been a million times where I've taken and driven all over the county because I want to go to this pond with this dog and I want to go to this cover with this dog and I want to go to this, you know, here with this dog. Whatever that dog needs that specific day is what you need to be doing. If the dog's having struggle, trouble with blinds, that granted you can't run blinds five days a week because the dog will be, the dog will lose its marking ability and it'll be kind of blind sour. It won't want to do it anymore. But for the most, whatever that dog needs in that day, whatever, you know, and there's been dogs that I've taken off the truck and we ran marks or ran a blind and they struggled. They go right back on the truck after we work through that issue and we go back to something and simplify, whether it's a T drill, whether it's a marking drill, whether it's, you know, whatever it may be, whatever a dog needs that specific day. I don't, when I wake up, I kind of have a general idea in my mind what I want to do. But if we get into a battle, we go back and simplify. We fix it because if you just try to push through it, um, and I hate to like jump forward and I saw somebody talking about like handling on a mark with a, you know, with a master hunt. The only way I would handle on a mark is if the dog took a horrible initial line and I stopped him really quick and capped into it. Otherwise, the dog gets out there and hunts, I'm using that bird boy, you know, help the dog out. And then we're going back and doing marking drill. I, you know, and that, that kind of, I hate to like jump forward and answer another question. But it just goes back to like whatever that dog needs that specific day is what I'm doing, and you know I hate to. I know that sounds very generic, basic. No, you're good. But it's pretty, I guess, complicated. Fine. Yeah. No, I get it. I, like, I'm gonna answer it. I'm gonna answer it too, Matt. Um, so I have goals. I I've started. Like again, I, I'm trying to be the best trainer I can be. And so each month I'm getting better at handling my business and handling the dogs. And you and I both know that we have dogs of super various levels. So you have to acclimate one group of dogs who are at a higher level and then simplify for the younger. And it's hard to juggle it all. But 
I've got goals for each dog per week. And so each week I've got like written goals of like, all right, this dog buttercup here, I want it to pick up birds this week. So each day I'm going to do something to help that dog learn how to pick up birds. And I mean, realistically, force fetch is the answer, but I want them to pick up birds because they like birds and I don't want to make them. So, I mean, so, so I've set aside goals, weekly goals to do X amount of marks. Like maybe like today I ran extra blinds because I've got two young golden retrievers that are signed up for a master test, but they don't handle, they mark at a master level, but they don't handle at a master level. So I've doubled down on blinds. Yeah. Well, Hey, you know, we'll see, uh, in two weeks, but I doubled down on blinds and teaching them some concepts. And, you know, today, if you check my Instagram story, it's, I simplified and moved up and taught a concept and then I backed up and, and revisited it. And, um, you know, so I've doubled down on blinds and like you said, it's what the dogs need. But if I had to like, look at my daily schedule, it's get up at five fifteen, five thirty. air dogs, hit the fields by at the latest eight. And we're doing force fetch, obedience, collar conditioning, and possibly uh, pile work. And then we're doing landmarks and then watermarks or vice versa. And then we're ending on, man, what, again, whatever else is needed. Um, and then also in the last like six, eight weeks, I've been trying to add more daily dog fun. So like I don't want this to be like – I think you and I talked about it actually. Like this is work, right? Yep. Yep. We did. We did. This is, these dogs have a job, right? And we're all, we're going to make them work. Right. And no, this is like being a part of a team and a sport and it's fun to go to the gym. It's fun to eat healthy. It's fun to work out. It's fun to go to practice. And we enjoyed going and playing sports, even though it was our job to be good at that sport. It was fun. And it's not supposed to be like, ah, oh, damn, I got to get up and go to work. Right? And so each dog is supposed to have a good time. And so uh, the last, like, six, eight weeks, every day I've taken a couple dogs. Like, they all get it, but four or five at a time. And we rip around the four-wheeler and we just air out and burn steam and get out of the box and don't have to do any drills or obedience or anything. Just let's go have fun be a dog. And and yep. I and I get to see him enjoy that too. So it's really healthy for all of us. Um so that's that's my daily routine, but I agree with exactly what you said. Whatever those dogs need and, is what we do. And and to touch base a little bit like you know kind of you and I talked before about letting these dogs have fun. Right. And I think that's where and I'm not saying cuz I'm I'm far from the greatest and I'm far from the best. But I think that's where some of the, you know, the people with the more old school mentality kind of falls short with some of the things because the dogs need to have fun. It has to be, it can't always be work. Like you know, anybody that works a nine to five job, you get two days off a week, right? Well, the dogs are the same way. And granted, there's some weeks that I train seven days, there's some weeks that I train five days. It just depends on how, you know, life happens and hunt test weekends and whatever. But anybody who follows my Instagram, my Facebook, whatever, I'll take, you know, I guess with my personal dogs, I take damn near 20 dogs outside 
and they all have to sit, sit patiently, you know, do whatever until I cut them loose, and then they're cut loose. Let's rip. I live on 30-acre farm, run. Play in the field, go jump in the river, go do whatever you want to do because it can't always be work. And when it, when it becomes only work, that's when you see dogs that don't want to do the work. Because if, you know, if anybody's job, if somebody made you work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whatever, you know, 12 hours a day, seven days a week, you wouldn't want to do it anymore, right? Uh, and you got to look at it the same way with the dog. Yeah. All right. Kev's got another question. This one, uh, where'd it go? I've been talking with people a lot, so I'm, I'm trying to... Uh, Seaching 83, my, my man. What made you go with a MTCK instead of an Ainley or Deerskin? Mm, my man. All right. MTCK stands for Mountaintop Custom Kennel. Uh, that's who I got my 18-hole gooseneck from. Uh, truth be told, they were the cheapest and could get it done the quickest, brother. Um, uh, Ainley and Deerskin, my old eight hole was a Deerskin, great quality. They were like a nine month wait. Um, Ainley was a nine to 12 month wait and Mountaintop said they were six month wait and they were like five, six grand cheaper. And I've seen their product. They put out a good product. Um, I'm very happy with it. And so that's that. All right. Next question. Awesome. Appreciate it, man. Uh, Jordan tool had another good one. It said, uh, I've trained master level dogs before, but I have a field trial line, five month old pup that I want to run field trials with. Should I, should the training be much different at this age than another dog? This one, uh, looking at you, Matt. Uh, uh my personal opinion, just, just get the dog running straight line long. Um, I'm not much of a field trial guy and I never have claimed to be. Uh, that, that little pup of mine that I talked about a little bit earlier, Ember, that's kind of the, I guess, the idea with her. And I'll probably run some cues with Boomer because uh, he kind of, he's the same way, like to run long. But at, at five months old, um, you know, personally, it depends on the dog. Where Where is the dog mentally? At five months old, Boomer was already four sets and running, you know, 300-yard marks because that's where he was. Um, Ember, kind of the same way. She's already got her junior title. She just turned six months old. Um, but not, not every dog's like that. So really, I guess if you want to comment back, if you're still on here, where's the dog at mentally? Like, does the dog like to run? Does the dog like to run long? Because if it likes to run long, teach that dog to mark really, really long. Because that's, I mean, at, at the end of the day, that's what wins field trials, running straight lines and, and marking long birds. Um, you know, I guess if you're still on here, comment back and we'll get back to you. Be happy to. But really, I guess where is your dog at mentally? Because if it's a five-month-old and it's really, really immature, then it needs to be trained where it is mentally. If it's a five-month-old that just is balls to the wall and wants to run, you got to train it like that. Because if not, it's not going to reach its full potential regardless. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's a, that's a good way to put it. It kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier is like every dog is different and you have to train – each dog as an individual instead of just having kind of like a standardized game plan for, you know, this is how I train dogs, period. So that, that makes sense. Um, side question, Bob, do you know Racket Man? Yeah, Scott Taylor. Oh, no. <laughs> My man. Hey, <laughs> that's funny. He's like, hey, uh. anyway, whatever. 
Nice. Um, Travis, our next question. Make sure that that's our next question. Yes. Uh, Travis, thanks, man. Appreciate the, the question. Uh, Travis has a four-month-old pup and is wondering if there's anything he can do to kind of set himself up for success so that he can um, kind of have some beneficial training out in the future. For a four-month-old dog, what should Travis be doing? All right, Matt. I'm going to take this, and I'm going to answer it in two minutes, and then you answer it in two minutes, okay? Did you hear Kevin? Go, go, go. All right, cool. Yeah, I heard him. Yep. All right, cool. Four-month-old puppy. This is a baby. I'm going to get it socialized. People, places, and things. So I want to take it to parties and, and let it meet all my little cousins and nieces and nephews and let people poke it and prod it and pick it up and get it socialized around everything. I want to get it used to hikes and walking and adventures and streams and ponds and puddles and thick cover and it's all got to be positive experiences um i want to take it to in our area downtown syracuse with taxis and honking horns and um grates on the sidewalk and weird stairways and just get this dog ultra socialize so that it is the most confident fearless most bad mother dog you can have at four months old i want it picking up bumpers and bringing them back to me whether you got to do it on a check cord or whatever down a hallway with a sock i'm building retrieve drive i'm not steadying the dog up yet but i'm building retrieve drive um teaching simple obedience go potty outside crate training don't jump on me. Don't nip me. Go, you know, just be a well-rounded dog, okay? And then I'm also, I, I also at this age, introduced to water if the temperature of the water is warm enough. Um, and also birds. So I want the dog to pick up frozen birds, live pigeons if you can get them, stuff like that, and bring them back to you. I'm not necessarily doing gunfire it all depends on the dog and their drive, but I'm I'm not worrying about guns until they're a little bit older. How about you, Matt? What you got? Honestly, for me, you hit the nail on the head. You know, you're talking about downtown Syracuse. I live in not downtown anything. Um, Lowe's is my big go-to. Uh, half the clerks at Lowe's know me by name. They know, you know, I'm always taking dogs in there. Um, I don't know. He, he one of my clients. He might be on here. Uh, I'm not sure I haven't everybody, but uh, there's a dog I have, chocolate dog named Abram, and she, she has no confidence. She's like eight months old, and she'll do something perfect one place, and then she'll get to another place, and she, she loses track of things. But I take her everywhere and make her successful there. So that's the big thing with that young dog, because that's kind of where she is mentally. It's like a four-month-old puppy. Take that dog everywhere you can, make it as confident as you can, and build a retrieve drive. If the dog's steady and it'll go on its name and you're not, like, really restraining it hard or anything like that, that's great. But if it's not, like, super driving, just let him rip. Let him go. You know, let that dog run. Let him let him build that drive on his own. Um, you know, at four months old, it, it, I, hate to, I hate to go back because this is really, truly how I train, but every dog is so, so, so different. Yeah. Um, you know, if they're super driven, you, know, you might want to start studying that dog. If 
their, you know, kind of average drive, maybe below average, whatever, you can build that up. Just let them rip. Let them go. You know, get a squeaky tennis ball and squeak it, squeak, 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 make that dog crazy, and then throw the tennis ball for them. Um, you know, like I said, I hate to make it so dependent on how the dog's personality is, but at the end of the day, that's really what it is. Like, if the dog's – wherever the dog is mentally, it's where it needs to be trained. Yeah, no, that's that's good, man. I couldn't agree more. Um, our last question, Matt, uh, and then we're gonna start start kind of wrapping up here. And I do want to know if you got any good plans for hunting season this upcoming year. But like, uh, uh, Todd asked if I remember his yellow lab storm. You bet I do. I remember storm coming over to the house. He was he was one of my first memories as a dog. Todd, great dog. R.I.P. Brother. Uh, but uh, Matt. Favorite stud dog, line, or uh, like any pups? Like, what is? Do you have a specific line that you like to train pups out of? Man, honestly, honestly, no, I don't. Um, I, I guess short story. I had three brothers from the same exact litter, um, and they were all vastly different. Of Bo- Boomer is one of them. I had two of his brothers with me in training for, and I still have one of them. Uh, um, Boomer and Easton super insanely driven uh mox the dog is still with me he's kind of all over the place mentally and he's eating he's kind of like kind of between a senior and master level now nice dog but they're all they're all so vastly different like you can have and that's what you know people think that you get the dog from the best breeding of the best breeding of the best breeding but it still all boils down to what you do with that dog as a puppy i'm super super huge on early exposure and, and doing as much as i can with those young puppies um, I don't really have there's no dog that I really have been like, man, I love working with every dog that remotely has anything associated to do with that dog. You know, there's always your famous, you know, the Grady's and things like that. And that's great. But there's been just as many good dogs from, you know, no name dogs almost. I, yeah, I'll, I'll butt in. I, I 95% agree with you. Actually, I a hundred percent agree with you. But I will say there's two dogs that I've seen throw puppies that every single one I've put my hands on has been legit. Absolutely fun to train, down to do the work, great marking, great attitude, good looking, just whatever you want in a dog. These Every single one I've touched. Uh, the one dog, his name is Slider. He was an FCAFC, if I remember, FCAFC, Bayou Tex, eye on the ball. And, yeah. And he he uh, sired Safe, one of the dogs we bought, sold, and still train. And Safe's a bad little girl. And I've trained a few other slider puppies that are equally as bad to the bone. And then the other one is Juice, and that is FC, Grand Hunting Retriever Champion, uh franchises performance enhancing drug juice and (laughs) and i've got one in the kennel now one coming back for this winter for my winter trip and i've got a couple friends that have puppies out of juice that are master hunters at a young age and marking machines hunting machines just cool cool dogs so if you are looking for a puppy actually we're probably going to breed safe to juice in the next 12 to 24 months, uh, my friend Steve bought Juice 
uh, straws. So there will be juice slash safe puppies in the near future. Um, and I will be owning one of those. So if you, you want to know how bad I think they are, I'm going to have one. Um, man, I, do you have any more? Let me add one thing on to what you just said. Um, you know, you can have a dog that marks great and you can have a dog that's got all the drive in the world. It looks great. But if that dog's not biddable and for anybody who really is listening, doesn't understand what biddable means, that, that dog wants to work for you. A biddable dog that doesn't have all the drive in the world, you can make do anything in the world for you. And that's one of my biggest things. Like, drive's great, and I love it. Like, I love a fast, high-octane dog, but I love a biddable dog. I absolutely love a dog that will work for me and wants to work for me. And I feel like I can get more out of biddable dogs. Like, so, you know, I guess if I had to say, like, that dog Crush, master title, um, he got four more passes than he needs for master title. That my dog's out of Boomer. Um, extremely, extremely biddable dogs. They will do anything in the world for you. I value that more than drop. But as far as, you know, going back to biddability. Yeah, yeah. A biddable dog that wants to do anything in the world for you, you can make that dog do anything in the world. And not through force, but just because that dog wants to work for you. So that's one of the things I look for is biddability. Like you can have, you know, all the drive in the world. If the dog doesn't want to do the work with you, you're going to have a tougher time than a dog that is moderately driven that you can make driven because it wants to do the work for you. Couldn't agree more, man. And, and I would say in the two dogs that I just mentioned, the juice and the slider, like those those dogs are biddable. They want to please the, or the puppies that they throw. And a lot has to do with the mom too. So I don't want to make people think that I'm only looking at males. But um, it just tends to be the males are, are a little more well-known. But um, – we look at both the mom and the dad and the grandparents for that bit ability and the training and the marking and the drive and all that jazz. But I, I couldn't agree more that trainability teamwork is also high on my priority list. When I look at marking and looks and color and all that other stuff that goes into picking a dog. But all right, Matt, um, here's what we're going to do. We are off Instagram live we're going to wrap this podcast up. I want you to do me a solid. Tell everybody who has listened how to follow you, what they should do to get in touch with you, and uh, we'll take it from there, man. Uh, so I guess on uh, on Facebook, anybody's welcome to send me a friend request. Just Matt Teal, M-A-T-T-E-E-L, just like a banana. Um, I got used to saying that on the phone because nobody understands my accent. Uh, Goose Creek Outfitters and Retrievers LLC on Facebook and at Goose underscore Creek underscore Sika, S-I-K-A, like the deer we have native here in Maryland. Well, introduced, but now native. Um, not Sitka, S-I-T-K-A. So at, under, at Goose underscore Creek underscore Sika on Instagram. Uh, that's me. Cool. Dude. I can't thank you enough for going shot for shot with me on Instagram live and on our podcast. Ton of fun. Um, oh, you know what I forgot? Dude, you got Bray. I was gonna say All right. We actually had a 
I got Bray. I, you, I do have Bray. You got Bray. So I sold Matt and Matt's client a started dog named Bray. So if you're an Instagram and Facebook follower, you've seen pictures in our videos. Bray is the definition of bad mother lover. He's a machine. He's got the looks. He's got the looks. He's got the drive. And and Matt just, you know, one day called me up and said, hey, tell me about this dog. So, Matt, tell the Lone Duck Gundog Chronicles listeners how Bray is doing now that he's in your hands. Um, I, Man, I got to say, uh, you know, I get a lot, a lot of dogs in the channel here. And, you know, it usually takes a week, two weeks some dogs a month to settle in and like really want to work kind of like I'm talking about a bit of really want to work with me Bray we got home the next day he's like hey man let's run Mark I absolutely love Bray and one of the coolest things about Bray for anybody who cares to follow along with him because he'll be on the story a ton I always like posting the high drive dogs on there um Bray's going to be with me pretty much indefinitely until he goes his his actual owner is a guy out of Canada so when Bray isn't in Canada picking up ducks for him, he's going to be here with me. Cool. Uh, running tests, you know, kind of doing his thing, hanging out at the house here. So everybody's going to be able to keep up with Bray for quite a long time. But Bray is a, he, like you said, dude, he's a bad mama jamma. I like, I absolutely love that dog. And I'm thrilled that he's going to be with me kind of indefinitely because he's a workhorse. Like he doesn't care about anything. He's like, okay, scratch my head. Cool. cool let's run. Let's go, bro. Let's, let's yeah. do drills. Let's do this. Let's do that. Dude, could, it's hard to find that in a dog. So I, I love me some Bray. I love that you love you some Bray, and I'm so glad he's in good hands, being taken good care of, and working. Um, Kevin just pantomimed slash uh, sign languaged me. How do we find out who owns Bray? aka like the outfitting and like can we all me you and kev go shoot over him next season when bray's out in canada is that a deal yeah that's that's actually a done deal um nice i am and i haven't even talked this over with his owner but it was hinted at so i'm just gonna go ahead and bank on it live on on here so, so scott buddy you're, you're taking me and bob to canada um <laughs> Wait a minute, me and you. No, we also just got live that Kevin didn't get invited. So it's me, you, and Bray going to Canada. Kevin's oh, left God. behind. <laughs> Kevin, coming too. It's it's through. Sorry. All right, we have to bring, we have to bring Kevin because you and I can shoot his limit because he can't hit a duck. Oh, uh, we're good, man. We're good. We're good. We're good. We'll get that limit. All right, Matt, dude, I love talking with you. I'm so thankful that you came out on the podcast and shot the breeze with us. And, you know, man, shot for shot, live on Instagram, there's a little bit of pressure on both of us to make sure we answer people's questions uh, to the best of our abilities, and you lived up to the standard. Thank you for joining us. And, again, if anyone wants to follow Matt, it's at goose underscore creek underscore S-I-K-A, Sika. Uh, phenomenal photography, a little bit of dog training tips on his story and pictures. Follow him along this waterfowl season. He is someone to watch out for. Matt, thanks so much for joining us, dude. Can't thank you enough.
Thanks, man. Really appreciate you guys having me. All right, dude. Well, hey, stay in touch. Give Bray a good old scratch for us here, and we'll catch you soon. Will do, brother. Hey, if you haven't done it already, jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Couchers. If you enjoy the show and want to support the show, if this show has helped you and your dog grow together, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer and you get more one-on-one from me. You get content that doesn't hit Instagram or YouTube and it enters you to win a free hunt with me and Kevin in Missouri this duck season. So jump on, links in the description. We'd be happy to have you and love to help you. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today.